hey, this is cool. This is going to be a big hit. I would be like the singer at a jazz club next to the piano. That was the first time that I was like, wow, I can do it. He's so emotional and so raw and so real with how he delivers his music. 13-year-old me, rock and rolling. I came out of the session and went, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the sound. She was so real. When she'd be rapping and singing, it felt like he was kind of at the church again. Hello and welcome to What Did I Say, where Atlantic Records talks with artists about songs they made, songs they like, and songs they'd like to have made. It's an inside look into the craft of songs from the artists themselves. From busking in San Diego coffee shops to becoming a household name, few artists have achieved the commercial and artistic success of dedicated artist, gentleman farmer, and impassioned social activist Jason Mraz. With hits like I'm Yours, The Number One Favorite, The Remedy, I Won't Worry, You and I Both, Curbside Profit, and many, many more, you have definitely heard his music. Recently celebrating the 15th anniversary of his major label debut, Waiting for My Rocket to Come, Electra released the album on vinyl for the first time. With eight studio albums, hundreds of thousands of touring miles, and a lead in the Broadway show Waitress under his belt, Mraz is now prepping another tour this year. When recently in New York City, we sat down with Jason to discuss his life and the future of his music. Do you remember? This is Memory Lane now. All right. Do you remember your first favorite song? My first favorite song was probably Alan Parsons' project, Eye in the Sky. Is that how it goes? Is that the name of the song? I am the eye in the sky looking at you. I can read your mind. It's called I Can Read Your Mind. I am the maker of rules. How did you find it? It was on the radio. I was in the backseat of my mom's green Fiat. And she listened to that on the radio and Air Supply. And sonically... You, those songs had rich harmonies and sounds. Maybe they were Rhodes pianos or something that was just warm and buttery and colorful that made me want to sing along with it. And yeah, those are my earliest musical memories. That and Mr. Rogers and the Muppets, of course, because those were my TV friends. You know, those are people that actually cared for me on a daily basis. <laughs> they were there. They, yeah. You could trust them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first song you memorized? The first song I probably memorized might have been um, like Jailhouse Rock or Wooly Bully, Aretha Franklin's Respect, or The Humpty Dance. And it was probably those four in that order. And that's that's because that's because I did those songs in elementary school talent shows. And I needed to know the words because I wasn't performing them. I was lip syncing. Yeah. Cause that was big. I didn't even know I could sing in the late eighties. I was lip syncing. You didn't know yet. I should have sung those songs. Do you remember the first song or album that you bought with your own money? Um, I actually could buy 45s. I am old enough that I bought 45s at Bradley's, which was kind of like a target of its day in Richmond, Virginia. And they had a 45 section. And I remember, I got um, Paul Abdul straight up and um, Walk Like an Egyptian. Um, Arsenio Hall put out an album really? as uh, Chunky A. 
He wore a fat suit and he did songs. Um, Eddie Murphy and Michael Jackson did music together, which I had. Those are um, some good ones. Those were good. Uh, my first CD, 1989, was uh, a tie between an, uh, an act called Kwame. I don't know if you remember Kwame. No. K-W-A-M-E, I think it were called. They were a hip-hop act. And D-Light World Click, because the groove is in the heart. And D-Light, for some reason, put out albums on my birthday, almost maybe every two years. So I felt like we were connected, me and D-Light. They Did always you get wanted... to tell them that? It's... No, but I, still to this day, they're one of my favorite acts, D-Light. Was there a specific song of yours that when you finished it, you knew that this is it? Like, I can do this. This takes me to the next level, like... Even it could be an early, it could be an early song. It doesn't have to be even one you didn't release. Like just a moment or a feeling that you're like, this is, I can do this. Oh, um, it it would have to be before my recording career. And because that's what gave me the courage or at least the, um, the confidence to pursue this as a career. So in college, I would just make songs up. Somebody would say, make up a song about this candle or this Dr. Pepper can or whatever. And I would just freestyle a song. And I thought that was tons of fun. And it would get a reaction and draw basically an audience in. And then I started adapting my journal entries into songs and taking it more seriously. And two, two different times, I felt like I, I, had, I landed on a hit. But they were never like commercial hits. They were just community hits. Because when I played them, college roommates, sweet mates, people in the dorm said, would come by and say, hey, can you play me that song? You know, they were requesting mm -hmm. a song. And one was called Galaxy, which was adapted from a journal entry by my best friend Stevie. And another one was called The Dream Life of Rand McNally, which was when I was working in the coffee shops, I'd wrote this sort of epic tale about this guy, Rand McNally, who was a map maker. You know, we all know Rand McNally as a map publisher, and I was, I thought, why did, why did he make maps? Well, because everywhere he went, he would get into trouble. And so he had to make a map of that place so he'd remember never to go back there again and ultimately amass this huge map collection. And so it was the dream life of Rand McNally. And when I wrote it, even before I played it the first time, I thought, this is, this is cool. This is something special. And, of course, when I went and played it at an open mic night, it was a huge hit immediately. It was my first, like, coffee shop hit. And after that, sort of those two experiences, they were like two little eras for me. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep going and see if I can't find more experiences like this or more unique songs like this so that I can continue to get these dopamine hits and get these reactions and hopefully pay my bills through music. That's what I thought. I thought it was a before recording one because yeah. you play it once and that one friend that says, play that again. Right. It's, you're right. It's a dopamine of like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is connecting. Yeah, this connects. So then the rest of your career is built on those moments saying, okay, if I've done it once, let me see if I can do it again. You know, and the, and the way you do it is you first you see if you can just connect with it, some deep version of yourself so that you, you are your first fan, so that you can be entertained by the song. And then you play it for your wife or your best friend or your open mic and see where it goes from there. And that's still, that's still how I do it today. I write a song, I play it for my wife. If she likes it, I go to the open mic and I play it there. And if I can do it twice at the coffee shop and people like it, then I'll take it to A&R and see if I can get it into the building, you know? Have you ever done, <laughs> have you been like stubborn about one or that you loved it and no one else did or does or doesn't get past the wife? The problem is now my wife loves all of them. So she's really difficult. 
But she will tell me straight up if a song is not good. But usually she likes everything. Um, but yeah, I've been stubborn about songs. Like, why doesn't, you know, why is it this connecting? Why is the label like this? Or, you know, how come when I play this, the audience goes to the bathroom? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, and I'm still trying to learn why my ego is attached to some songs and why some songs just spiritually get connected. Yeah. Is there a recent song that you discovered that you had to share with your friends? Well, I, I just make playlists on Spotify. That's what I do. So if I love a song, I, I have a couple of different playlists for based on different moods. I think like I've got like a troubadour singer songwriter playlist. So if I come across something that moves me, I throw it on that. And then I just tell people when they ask me, what, what are you listening to? I'm like, go to my Spotify. I have a bunch of playlists. That's what I'm listening to. That's what I've earmarked that I like. Because it's impossible for me to remember all these different names of songs and the artists. But I do my best to save them. Do you feel that way because there isn't anything physical? Totally. Yeah. And it's names. And nowadays the names are so crazy. People are using numbers and letters and they took all the vowels out of their hipster band names and they don't make the artwork the feature. And nowadays I'm starting to see more and more moving imagery imagery show up as artwork or even a music video pops up, which I appreciate because I'm going to hear the song. I'd love to hear or get the visual art in some form as well. Because you remember staring. Yeah, I remember staring and holding it and the reading full, it. The whole 45 minutes. Yeah. But I think also... Today, compared to that, a hundred times more creators out there giving us music. And so I think the technology, they're, they're serving each other. You're but right. I think the technology is a way for us to organize all those, allow us to listen and take them in, and hopefully have a place to put them in our pocket. And learning more, probably taking a lot more in. Taking a ton more in, but almost taking in so much that I rarely get back and listen a third time I, I, I will listen twice Because occasionally Or the track 12 Of the record Yeah Oh gosh I miss the track 12 I do I was always a track 8 guy And if I loved 8 I would eventually pair it with 7 And I had to listen to 7, 8 Back to back Because <laughs> the artist Wanted me to have that experience Yeah And That happens seldom So If I'm listening to a station And I come across uh, like this, the, my, my most recent obsession, I'll actually tell you the guy's name here. Give me one second. For, for Spotify? Yeah. Um, and you know what I did the other day is I mixed up my icons, my apps, because someone told me that's better for your brain. Yes. It's like once a month, scatter your apps so that you... And have also deleting Facebook, that helps. I actually deleted my Instagram. Really? Yeah. How come? Just too much? Too much time? Too many scrolls? It's television. And if we're if we're drunk on television, we're missing life. We're missing the issues. We're just missing interactions in general. We're missing an opportunity to be creative. If we're being creative on Instagram, we're making somebody else money. We're not making us money. We're we're creating content for whoever owns Instagram. That's just my two cents. I will still be posting stuff through there through my social media manager. But I don't want to be drunk on Instagram. And I admit, I have, been, I have been. I have been. I will s find my legs numb on the toilet because I've sat there too long looking at stupid stuff. Yeah. Looking at, you know, uh, skateboard accidents. <laughs> you know, that's my, that's my addiction is I want to see wipeouts, surf wipeouts. I love fail videos. Fail videos. <laughs> so I had to delete it cold turkey. <laughs> and I'm doing really well. Um <laughs> 
So I came across this guy who I absolutely adore. His name is Leif Volabek, and I believe he is of the Dakotas. I could be wrong. Um, And he put out an album called Twin Solitude. And the song was striking enough that I listened to the whole album several times. And wow. I eventually found my track sevens and my track eights and my track twelve. So it still happens. Um, but I earmark certain tracks and they end up on playlists. So if you like, if you want to know what I'm listening to, go to my Spotify page. And I have Meditation Station for exactly that. That's I have, a good one. I have Troubadours for singer-songwriters and bands that I like that I know are out there on the road slumming it and, and kicking A. Um I've got Getting It Done. That's like my up-tempo, like high BPM <laughs> tracks of both rock and DJ style. Um, yeah, those are like my, my top three playlists. And I'm, and I'm cur- currently curating new ones. Like I have one called Lively Up Yourself, which is mostly my reggae and dub reggae tracks and tropical grooves. And then I've got um, The Future is Female, which anytime I hear a rad female artist, I throw her specifically in that category because I want, you know sometimes I only want to hear female voices because there's my voice is mostly sounds like a female and I have a theory that people like the kinds of music that they sound like when they speak or sing along so if you have a friend that sings really poorly odds are he likes indie bands that have really weird singers <laughs> odds are that's my yeah they probably like love that. Bright Eyes they probably love Decemberist yeah. they probably love like you know I'm the king of carrot flowers you know that type of stuff Nirvana. What grabs you when you first listen to a song? The lyrics, the beat, the drums, the guitar. What's the first? Gosh, it's probably track by track. You know, like Lee Folabek, who I just mentioned, it was like this soft groove with noise in the background with piano. And I was like, ooh, that's a nice sound. I was, I was lured into the hypnosis of it. And then he started singing and it was a melody that was similar to my own voice that was also rapping a bit with rhythmic in his melody so it was a perfect storm it was a it was all the perfect ingredients the perfect conditions for me to grow into listening so it's more than one thing when it begins it's more than one things and a friend of mine recently said um surrender to the track and i love that because we were we were listening to a playlist and it was on shuffle and this track comes on and right away I wanted to hate it. I just wanted to hate it. It, it was like a disco beat that I wasn't in the mood for. And my friend's like, hey, just surrender to the track. You don't know where it's going. Let's see where the yeah. creator of this wanted to take us. And three quarters of the way through, it became my favorite song. I was like, I can't believe how much I love this song and I wanted to change it two minutes ago. And so I, I'm really glad of that lesson because we, it's so easy just to skip. Skip, skip, skip. skip and great. I want to be hooked within the first 10 seconds. So surrender to the track, y'all. What's the song, no matter how many times you've heard it, you will stop anything you're doing just so you can hear it again. We Are the World came on the other day, and I was in a broth shop. And I got the, I walked in this place right when, ba, 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 like the intro came on. I was like, oh, is this We Are the World? I was like, yeah, I think it is. And we just stood there and we sang the whole thing. And when you get about four minutes in, they're just looping that chorus and people are just ad-libbing. And Willie's, some people are ad-libbing twice. throwing in his line. Yeah, like Ray Charles ad-libs for a full chorus. <laughs> then it kind of goes quiet. And then Ray Charles comes back and ad-libs for another chorus. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. You guys didn't plan this. Y'all are just like, anybody who wants the mic, come forward. Yeah. And uh, 
I think it's one of Bruce Springsteen's best songs. Um, I say that jokingly because he didn't write it, um, <laughs> but he sang it like he owned it. Four minutes in, he comes, and uh, I, w- I recently saw Springsteen on Broadway. I was like, why didn't he play Where the World? It's like one of his best songs. You didn't heckle that? You didn't yell it out? <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's a song that recently stopped me, and, and I and I sang and I stood there for five minutes, listening to the whole thing before I placed my broth order and left this this like broth that. shop. I think people should yell out instead of yelling out Freebird. People should start yelling out "We are the world." We are the world <laughs> Just because to... it, even if you don't play it, it's a reminder to the audience yeah. that we are the world. Yeah, we are the world. It's a powerful mantra that we need to remember. Do you remember the first time you heard your, one of your songs in public? I was in Australia driving on the wrong side of the road, on the, in the wrong side of the car. And my song came on the radio. I was just about to pull into the rental car place to return my car. And the song came on. And for a split second, it was The Remedy. It was in 2003. I was already touring. The album had already been out for a few months. But we agreed not to put the single out until about four months after the album came out. The song comes on. And for a split second, I thought, oh, I need to pull my CD out before I return the car. I was like, oh, wait. My CD's not in the car. This is on the radio. And I looked around and I'm just like, wow, I'm on another planet right now and hearing my song. This is so cool. And I probably rolled the windows down and like turned it up a bit. Nowadays, if my music comes on, I actually turn, put the windows up because I don't want people to pull up next to me like, check out Jason Mraz listening to his stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in San Diego last night. Yeah. And I pulled up next to Jay at a red light and he's like cranking the remedy still. (laughs) It's a good song, though. Great song. Great song. But I do pull up next to other cars that are blasting my music, and that is awesome. I really Do you ever say grateful. what's up? Sometimes. Just a little, it like does the, happen. Like the horn toot, like, bang, bang. But, but hey, usually if the light's green, then and I'm it. just like, hey, thanks, man. Peace. <laughs> hey, appreciate that. <laughs> And then I roll. And then I roll. Make sure they're not following me Make home. Make sure you're not following you home, yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple more. Do you ever look back? You know, you say thinking back to the early years and continuously adapting, making new music, doing, trying new things, businesses. Is that something that's always been in you to always have something different going on and always have things going on? Because it seems like you're always busy no matter what. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, um, but I feel better when I'm busy. I feel like I'm more in the flow of life when I have a creative task in front of me, whether it's playing the piano, guitar, writing poetry, planting a garden, um, helping a local fundraiser happen, um, they're all challenges and that, that, that I can put my attention on and feel like my life has a purpose because when I don't have that, I feel drifting. I feel lost. I feel, um, like the world could collapse. You know, it's, a, I don't know. It's a weird feeling. And I also feel like at any moment someone could ask me to do something of which I'll probably get roped into so if i have a lot of stuff that i'm already creating and doing then i just feel better about being in control of the possible possibilities of the outcomes um 
but I didn't plan it at the beginning. I never did. Um, and to answer your question, I still feel like I am back there. I don't feel like I'm looking back at what my life was before I had a career. I feel like the page is blank, that the path is still needs to be macheted and figured out where we're going. Um, you know, I still go back to the coffee shop that my career began in, and I still test my music out there. And I feel like if my entire music business were to crumble for some reason, my foundation is that I can go to that coffee shop and play songs in exchange for that money at the door and take my wife to dinner and our bills will be paid. Like that was the, that was the foundation of my career was not have to have a day job, but be able to go somewhere and play my songs and pay my bills. I mean, that's, that's the American dream, right? We just all want to be able to do our talent or our, or our joy enough so that our bills are met, so that we're not working for the man. And I was lucky enough to just continue to get opportunities where I could show up and play my songs in exchange for trade so that my bills were paid. And luckily... When all my bills were paid, I was able to start to share that with my community, create a foundation, create small businesses, um, help startups so that these people who have talents can do exactly what I did with music, but they're doing it in food or they're doing it in a nonprofit. You know, they're, they're taking people with disabilities and freeing them from paralysis because they're giving a new quality of life, you know, all because... That's their joy. That's their talent. And that was all an extension of someone giving me the opportunity to do that in that coffee shop. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I still feel like I stand at that threshold or that uh, on that foundation. Um, using it for good. Yeah, using it for good. I, I was... Because I was rewarded so early, I was 21 when I got my coffee shop gig and money started coming in the door, literally, of the coffee shop. You know, hey, we, we sold 100 tickets tonight. Here's your cut of the door. Holy cow. I'm going home with $1,000? What? No job I've ever had paid me $1,000 in a week, right? I worked for the post office once. And in two weeks, I remember I got like an $800 paycheck. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm loaded. <laughs> but, you know, I was suddenly making this, you know, a little bit of scratch here and there at these coffee shops. And I felt like I had a tremendous blessing. And for all the people who took me to dinner or took me to movies, let me borrow their car, let me sleep on their couch so that I could get to that place. I felt like it was my duty once I got somewhere to continue being that for others. What I have learned as a hustler from the coffee shops and as a small business owner, it's important to, yes, educate yourself as much as you can, but also diversify your talents. Play the coffee shop. Play the online games, the, the services, Get, get your art out there to every capacity you can and also continue to think outside the box. Like where can you do something that no one else is doing it? Whether it's a certain street corner 
that they that they don't have music being played um who can you wow with your art or you're a filmmaker and you're taking film on the road and then you make a doc and you learned how to do that so then you do that for someone else while you're doing music like that those things happen when you just exactly i love that you brought that up because that steps outside of music that's that talk that talks to all creators and the more you can learn about the entire scope of creativity the more it will contribute back to each and every part of the assets you create so if you if you know how to make music but now you're venturing in film that that music understanding that production is going to add to film and who knows what that those projects allow you to who you're going to meet and one day next next thing you know you're probably the film executive follow your joy and i think make realistic choices too i sometimes like i've met people that are like listen to my songs listen to my songs i'm ready i i I want you to and i listen to songs and i don't think they're ready i think they have a passion for it and i think they have a, a gift but i think they need to keep working and maybe start at a more local level rather than just wait for some big huge international payday you know i think there are realistic goals that you can meet that will train you and get you ready so that when that despacito moment comes up is that what the song is called despacito and the whole world is ready to embrace that song then you're also ready because you've put in the time to manage yourself and your um your musicianship and um and your credit you know so small realistic goals I think is also important for songwriters. Put in the time, do the work, write a thousand songs. Nothing wrong with that. They're not it's no wasted effort, trust me. Plus Sting Sting said music is its own reward. So even if that even if nobody ever hears that song, you heard it and you got to commune with the divine while you were making that song. You know, you got to birth something that's magical to you. Maybe your cat heard it, maybe your wife heard it. And that's enough, really. It cannot wait. I'm yours. Open up your mind. See like me. Open up your plans. Damn, you're free. Thanks again to Jason Mraz for coming on What Did I Say? Stay up to date with Jason at jasonmraz.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-M-R-A-Z.com. Our theme music is by Max Frost. Be sure and catch up on all the Atlantic Records podcasts at AtlanticPodcasts.com. Thank you for listening.